Hello, welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast, episode 17. Uh, Transit Matters advocates for fast, frequent, reliable, and effective public transit in and around Boston. It's part of our vision to repair, upgrade, and expand this system. We aim to elevate the conversation around transit issues through informed planning and critical analysis, uh, showing why transit matters and uh, how do we get to it. I am Jeremy Mendelson. I'm a geographer, transit service planner, and a longtime Boston transportation advocate. I co-founded Transit Matters because, well, nobody else was doing it, uh, but also because uh, someone needs to speak up for uh, making the tea everything that it can be. And I'm Mark Ibunia. I'm the curator of our blog and social media and feeds. By day, I'm an IT systems administrator, and by night, I am still the Leslie Nope of Transit, geeking out over meeting celebrities in transportation and getting knee-deep in advocacy. I'm Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member here at Transit Matters. I work as a lawyer, but in my free time, I like to indulge my passion for improving communities through a better through better development and infrastructure, specifically with regards to transit and transportation networks. Today, we're going to focus on the commuter rail network. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I don't really use a commuter rail. I'm a city guy. I, you know, I just need the subway. But before you tune out, commuter rail, or as we like to call it, regional rail, is a as we very want to call it. As we want, yes. <laughs> um, it's a very important component of the transportation network in terms of tackling street and highway congestion, and if designed well, can actually fill both local and regional transit needs. Well, let's start right there. Tell me, why would you want to call it regional rail and not commuter rail? What's the point? Well, so the commuter rail system, I've been thinking about this a lot, the commuter rail system is often, it seems to be designed around this idea, this old idea that um, people are, are commuting to downtown. They live at home in the right. suburbs, and you work downtown in the city. Right, and so you know that's that's what we we have a lot of like parking lot stations where the idea is like oh you just a bunch of people will drive to the station in the morning and they'll take it downtown and then in the evening they and then we just run a little bit of service at other times yeah. just to have some service, but it it doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of thought in that, and I yeah. I think it can serve a lot of a lot beyond that narrow vision. It hasn't really moved beyond the Don Draper years, where if you watch Mad Men. Uh, Don Draper in the 1960s and 70s. He's, he has this really great house on Long. He moves out to Long Island, uh, commutes into the city on Long Island Railroad, and then, or I guess at the time, Penn, Penn, uh, the Pennsylvania Railroad uh, into Penn Station, and then goes to work at on Madison uh, Madison Avenue. But it hasn't really moved beyond that. We're we're still in this pre Amtrak, even pre Amtrak, pre Nixon era of of I guess commuter rail. Uh, service like there are a lot of people that, out there who are doing reverse commutes. Where um, I think I guess we're as we're going to talk about the fact that um, lots of other cities like Natick, uh, Framingham, they all have large business centers. Or even actually, uh, you sent us an article uh, from who was it? Commonwealth Magazine, where it was, it was the, the, mayor, the mayor of Worcester was also um, leveraging the fact that uh, uh, there's abundant. <laughs> abundant and cheap office space out in uh, in Worcester, but also affordable housing, uh, or that Worcester could potentially fill the affordable yeah. housing need. And, and uh, that's an interesting thought because I mean, if you know, it's like the kind of there's, there's cities all over that you know are, could be you yeah. know much more useful in the network. And um, you know, now that Boston is getting so expensive, I mean, mm-hmm. there are places you know if we have good commuter rail, I'm, I'm wondering if like you know if we make it better, that's something to. Yeah. Think about. I mean, one of the things that got me really thinking about this was that there are two, two things that, that were in the news, um, and thanks to Josh for suggesting that we talk about the commuter rail tonight, um, which is that the, there was an article about the Salem and Beverly parking garages, 
which we talked about on a podcast. I wish I knew which episode that was. <laughs> but uh, way back when, we talked about uh, these parking garages as one of our news items and generated a lot of discussion because the... the t- so right now, the, anyway, this news article is saying that the parking lots are only about half full, uh, which is less than was expected. And, you know, it's it seems to be like earth-shattering news to the people who designed and built the garages that, uh, oh, my God, there's like there's like four or five times as many people using the T right. as parking spaces and the thing's not even full. And it's like seems to be earth-shattering to them that they that people access transit by any other way than, than driving. And the other thing was, was an article uh, from Belmont talking about how the the T and, and I guess now the town is considering closing their two stations, uh, Belmont, which is right in the center of town, and, and Waverly Square, which is like a business district in itself, um, closing those two stations in favor of a, of a second, you know, c- consolidating them into one station in between in order to meet the ADA mandate, which probably isn't the, the, uh, the spirit of the law. Um, they're basically saying it's going to be so expensive to make these things accessible that we might as well consolidate and we'll just have a station in the middle in the middle of nowhere and we'll put a big parking lot and so effectively we'll make it more or less accessible in order to be more accessible right Right. well I understand the motivations is that uh, the building a station in the middle of nowhere means that you can do precast construction Um, if you look at the corridor and where those stations are right now uh, they basically need to do a whole bunch of demolition around the track because it's in a trench um, that's really narrow and just about as wide as the tracks themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's madness. I mean, I, yeah. this whole thing with cost is madness, and it yeah. just it really bothers me. I was I was uh, ranting about this to you, Mark, earlier today. Is like the this idea that we you know everything is too expensive now. It's like they put a number on something. What is, what is the average person? How does the average person relate to a million dollars or two billion dollars or whatever? Like we just people just like love to say, oh, this is too expensive. It's too much money to invest. And it's like we. We have a government for the purpose of raising revenue and spending revenue on things that are good for the public good. And so if if the stations are not accessible, then we need to make them accessible because people with disabilities have every right to use them as anybody else. And just like saying, oh, it costs too much is like, that's, that's mad. Well, I do understand the concern about cost, but doing a flat comparison of the 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 simple cost to do the construct to to bring those two stations to ADA compliance as opposed to or as compared to uh, simply shuttering those stations and building a consolidated st- consolidated station um, if you if you actually uh, uh, if you actually look at where they want to put the consolidated station it's on this really winding road that's that's very very far apart from uh, mo- from a lot of from the downtowns from the two where the two stations are are very conveniently situated so uh, it it just there are so many externalities that would add to those costs and would just make would make that road if you had to drive to it a, like a living nightmare. A walk, uh, imagine that. Yeah, it's a it, the road well, that well, it, the, the extent to which it's successful will make people not want to use it. Yeah, because yeah. it's just like all these other commuter rail parking rides where it's. If the parking lot's full, then people get really upset because, or, you know, I don't know how full it has to be to get to this point, but people get upset because the little road that gets to the parking lot is always backed up and getting out of the parking lot takes 30 minutes because, you know, there's only one exit or two exits or something like that. Whereas if you have one of these things, you keep it in the historic downtown and, and 
if the towns are willing to even densify a little bit more. But a lot of the New England towns are already relatively dense, especially from a North American standards. So you have a lot of people that will be able to walk to the commuter rail. You know, and then, and if we're going to get back to Salem, so this is a good example. I was trying to pull up the article, but, Mm -hmm. you know, the the headline of the article was that um, fewer cars than expected are parking in the new, you know, Salem and Beverly garages. And basically the new Salem garage is only about half full. Now, when you get into the numbers, it's uh, being half full is actually in Salem. They have a 700 space facility that's averaging 413 um, vehicles a day. Um, But before before um, they built the garage, uh, it was maxed out at, at less than that many spaces a day. So there's more people taking the commuter rail and parking there on a daily basis, just it's not maxed out yet. Um, but I think, as we talked about way back when we first brought the issue up, if they had also um, maybe had a private developer help build the garage and built uh, apartments, they could have had lots of apartments yeah. there. Um, then they basically, not only would they have gotten 24-7 use of the garage by people who live in the building or in the neighborhood you know, using the garage if they still want to have a car, but they also would have had more people be, they could have built a smaller garage even maybe because they could have had more people walking to the station living above the garage or near the garage. But, you know, towns that, towns that want to have commuter rail, they can really improve their economy if we can figure out a way to make it more than just commuter rail. And also, you know, maybe have some more, um, provide more residential uh, development in their towns. Um, like, like what the, the mayor of Worcester was pushing for, of saying, you know, and his big thing, which this is something I've talked to um, Ari Offseva before about, um, is kind of like kind of the abysmal um, uh, trip times that we have mm-hmm. um, between, for example, Worcester and South Station, and even like the Cape Flyer. <laughs> um, yeah, so and he was saying, you know, he was showing that like the, the schedules from the 1950s showed that the trip time was faster um, then than it is now, uh, which basically speaks to the lack of, uh, of continued improvement of the rail infrastructure there. And, um, you know, like we know, for example, in the, on the Worcester rails, um, they really have trouble in the summer heat and they have to slow. It's like, it's like in the fall, they've got the leaves and in the winter, it's the snow and in the summer, it's the rails are too hot. So they have to drive slower. So it's like, I don't know, Mark, do you know the speeds? It's like, they, I think they have to slow down to like 30 miles an hour or something like that. I mean, Oh yeah. It's, it's, you don't really notice it during the trip. Like I didn't notice it on during, during my last trip. Uh, because I was also doing other work, and I actually ran into the um, manager of uh, of heavy rail at the MBTA on the train in the in the in the dining car and <laughs> in the bar car, and we we had a chat. But uh, uh, no, I mean it was. It, it also struck me that the the train had to wait at a at a drawbridge to to come down. We s- sat there for like ten minutes, and uh, when we finally got to, I think it was Hyannis when we finally. Yeah, I think. It's oh, you're talking about the Cape, the Cape the Flyer. The Cape Flyer, yeah. 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 I'm sorry, are we, are we still... Oh, well, I, I, I was talking about the Worcester line. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, no, no. But I'm, the same yeah. point, the same point. Yeah. Um, Cape Flyer is so. even worse. I mean, it just yeah. runs like, you know, two miles an hour. And, you know, and most people, like, for most people, it's like, oh, well, who cares? Like, at least I can get to the Cape and I don't sit in traffic. But, oh, yeah. you know, when that you're dealing with that... <laughs> yeah, when I was going to Worcester, I was commuting out to Worcester every day. And other times I still go to Worcester sometimes. And the fact that it's... 40 miles and it takes an hour and 40 minutes to get out there and it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous at, at the risk of sounding like an elitist new yorker i'm originally like i grew up on long island and my parents still live out uh on the south shore of long island and it's about the same distance from penn station to their station as, as it is from uh from south station to worcester so 
uh, and I can make the trip in 10 minutes. The trip, uh, not 10 minutes, I wish. Uh, the, trip is, uh, the trip is about an hour long, and uh, there used to be an express train that only stopped at five stations, and it only saved 10 minutes because it was so fast. Um, but the, this, is, this is using infrastructure that Pennsylvania Railroad put into the system, electrification, that they put in around turn of the 19th, 1900s, the turn of the 20th century. Um, yeah, they were able to get faster speeds now. Granted, yeah. they didn't have a zillion stations, a zillion parking lots in between, and maybe that's right. part of the problem. But, um, well, but we, when we <laughs> rebuilt the, you know, when the yeah. Western Line was re, was rebuilt you know, over the years, like I don't, I think it had stopped service for a while. Mm-hmm. There, you know, now there's like big parking lots. So like Ashland, for example, has a nice little old little station in the middle of town. The train goes right by it, goes to a parking lot like yeah. two miles away. Well, the same way with um, um, Plymouth. Too. Yes, Plymouth. Uh, exactly. New report, and yep. a lot of these, you know, and the other thing is that these, a lot of these towns are towns that um, they benefit from um, tourism, <laughs> yes, and they can benefit right. that much more. Now, look at all of the um, foreign tourists that we're having. I mean, we our tourism is up um, like a million people, um, something crazy over the last ten years. Like it went from just under a million. Uh, I think it went to like seven hundred thousand a year to like one point six million or something like that in the last ten years. And these are just like foreign people, people, people flying in. This is people flying into Logan. I, I said to us, this is people flying into Logan because we had all these direct flights, um, foreign direct flights, and and so you have a lot of people coming in and they would like to go see Plymouth Rock. They would like to go see some of these seaside towns, especially in the summer. They might like to go to Rockport or Newburyport. Um, they'd like to go to the Cape. And they're used to being able to do this very easily a lot of times in the countries they're coming from. Yeah. And so, you know, we're making it to where, like, they really, the only way they can do it is if they have, like, some sort of you coach go to, service or, you know. Well, like, you go to the airport and you you land and then you, you go and you get a rental car. And then you right. drive around Boston right. in the area and until you're done. And that's how you hate it. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. how you learn to hate your experience. Right. Yeah. But I think, you know, there's, there's two sides. Um, I think that we sort of t- touched on this earlier about running a commuter-type service. There's the operational difficulty of the type of, I guess, split shift that's required. Um, but then there's also sort of like a negative feedback loop of if you're offering a commuter service, then you really limit the type of people who are going to be interested in using it, um, the type of people who would want to be able to have the flexibility to travel midday, uh, late night hours, weekends, for example, pretty much all summer long, I try to find excuses at least every couple of weeks to do some sort of day trip with the family. And I would really prefer to be able to take um, the commuter rail to get places, mm-hmm. but there's two issues that get in the way. One is the weekend schedules are horrendous, um, and two yep. is that we don't have the north-south rail link, so it just doesn't make any sense for me to go to the south station and switch, get all the way to the north station, and then okay. go to my final destination. Even even having to uh, to stop in uh, in New York City if I want to go up to, to like Poughkeepsie or something north of the city from Long Island it, it's they have the same problem well they have the same problem yep. but it's it, I mean simply having simply having fast electric trains makes 100% a difference between um, I mean just and this that's is an issue. This is an issue that we, uh, you know, we're, we're thinking about talking about. And it's yeah. In the, you know, there's been much discussion with the. Uh, there's a couple months ago, the governor, governor Baker, uh, canceled the T's planned uh, purchase of diesel multiple unit trains. Yeah. These are small. These are basically subway cars that just run on diesel fuel um, because these tracks are not electrified on the commuter rail. And so basically, the the idea was 
that we're going to use these to have frequent service and we're going to run it, you know, to some places that are you know, on the, like on the Worcester line further in and on the Fairmount line and uh, maybe at Chelsea, maybe up Chelsea and Everett. And, you know, we're going to run these short. So, um, but that, that was canceled. And I mean, I'm wondering, I'm just thinking about what, maybe how much of it, like I think about this in the context of the Fairmount line, right? The yeah. Fairmount line, um, it goes through very, very dense neighborhoods that really deserve rapid transit service and, you know, for many years haven't had it and it's kind of racist. So, um, never mind, it is racist. Um, <laughs> that the only, that the, the black neighborhoods in the city of, the overwhelming black neighborhoods in the city of Boston are the only ones that don't have rapid transit access. Um, so that said, I mean, there's been talk about this, the 28X, which never went through, and Blue Hill Avenue, and, um, you know, the Fairmont Line is this corridor that's there, that's commuter rail right now, um, and it's, yeah, they made some improvements over the past few years, uh, they've had more frequent service, they brought down the uh, fares, um, but they still don't have a free transfer, so that's still a problem. Um, and if they've built up a whole bunch of new stations, and they're developing the neighborhood around it, looking at a lot of uh, transit-oriented development, um, the question that, that, that I've asked often is, uh, right now it's running every 40 minutes off-peak, and I think it's every hour on the weekends, and uh, every 20 minutes in the peak hour. And the question I was wondering is, like, what, how do we get it more frequent than that? Because we, it really needs to be at least every 20 minutes all the time, if not 10 or 15 minutes, to, to be competitive with the slow buses that people are having a lot, you know, taking the bus to Ruggles. Well, what are the, what are the main pinch points? I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I thought somebody was telling me, uh, I think last week, um, that one of the issues is getting through it at Circle. Um, does that does that line have to go through there? Is that is that kind of the issue? With what, yeah, it sounds like some of sort the, of the, the South Station we yeah. issues yeah. are interfering with the frequency on the right. line. There's uh, there's a lot of people in the uh, I keep saying this yeah. the the echo chamber of Arch Boston and uh, Railroad.net right. who love to talk details about yeah. how this wouldn't work and we're or not how the technical it, experts, yeah. but, of how, but I mean, of how or how yeah how, how they're but, how they're bottlenecks or uh, but right. but well, so the, the the thought the thought here that that you've advanced through reading these discussions, which I, I appreciate a lot, and it gives me a different perspective is is that it seems like the the vehicle type has always been talked about as like we need to get different we need to get different vehicles so they have more yeah. frequent service, and it seems like that may not be the issue. That maybe we can run, you know, I don't know if it's feasible to run, like, the rolling stock that we have to run it every 10 minutes, but it seems like maybe it is, and maybe there's other issues that are that are getting in the way of this particular line. So I wonder, like, what do we even need DMUs for in the first place? Well, to get to a certain frequency, you definitely need to s- switch over to uh, faster accelerating vehicles. Like, if you want rapid transit frequency of, like, every... Uh, ten minutes. Every ten minutes or less. Um, I, bl- I as so I understand, you, the you think that's where the breakdown is, like getting below fifteen minute headways. Is below below ten minute headways, as I understand it. Somebody else has done the math Five. out there. Okay. Uh, I think I think even Matt Danish, who has unfortunately left us for yes. other shores, um, though he's still him. very much with us. We <laughs> have him on episode five. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, he's, he's basically flat, uh, like in those, in those discussions on Arch Boston and Railroad.net basically said it's not an issue of, uh, of equipment. It's a, it's an issue of, of political will to just simply squeeze in the additional time slots that are needed for, uh, for, for greater frequency. Um, and I, it might also be a staffing issue, uh, but that's that's not something that's not easily resolved by. I mean, commuter rail right now. I mean, uh, who is it? Uh, Keolis is currently going through a rapid hiring process right now to make sure that there are conductors and all of that sort of stuff as part of their their um, agreement with the T to improve service. 
Uh, yeah, so this is that's an important point that you raised is because that gets into fares also, which is a big issue with commuter rail. But um, but yeah, so there, there was the announcement last week. Um, was it um, was it Stephanie Pollock that made the announcement? Right, I do remember. I know she was involved in it a little bit, basically saying that the the first of all the the mass dot and the MBTA were were some of the fines that they took from Keolis. They're supposed to take from Keolis for poor performance. Mm-hmm. Um, they were basically saying, okay, you can take some of that money back and invest it in in hiring more conductors. Um, but that the MBTA was also going to be placing what they called a mystery shoppers, <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically plain clothes, like I guess inspectors to be, to be watching to see if the conductors are actually taking fares. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is not. It, it's funny that it required a press release. You know, it's. Not, I think that's really more of just we want people to feel like we're doing something about this. PR, you know? <laughs> all this fair, but, all this fair evasion stuff is all PR. I mean, it caused you know to, to the extent that there's some fair evasion. Yeah, let's let's, let's there, well, look you know, at it. Well, on but, the commuter rail though, I think it's a little bit different than the commuter rail. Where um, there is the issue of the cars just simply being too full, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, right. I don't I don't get too upset about it once you get into Zone One A. I'm not I don't think people need to be checking your ticket between Back Bay and South Station, right. you know, or you know Back Bay and Yaki or something like that. But it is true that once you get into like Zone One, um, the last time it's standing room only is very very difficult because like well, we have on the meet, on the Needham line here, and I mean really this this could be a rapid transit line. I mean, the stops are so close. It's like basically you start and then you're at the next stop, you yeah. know, for about four or five stops here. Yeah. Um, and there's really no time for conductors to, to really go between the cars, you mm-hmm. know, and, and take the tickets there. Um, but I, I do agree with your larger point that most of the fare evasion talk is, is all just spectacle. It, yeah. It, it's kind of like TSA. It's, it's theater. Yeah. Right? People, people want to have this idea that they're treated fairly. And this is why we get to this, this idea, you know, this is this is why people say that they go out to fare evasion and then, you know, like drivers are like, oh, you know, the bikes don't pay for the roads because they, they think that they do and they think it should be fair. And, you know, this people want to be treated fairly. And so they see people not paying and they get upset. Uh, but the reality is that it's, you know, it's it's fairly low. It, you know, to the extent that it happens, it may be that it costs more, like in the green line, right? It's like, okay, we, you know, the policy, the structure doesn't work. It's not that there's like, that, that there's not enough people collect you know they're not pouncing on people and it's sort of it's just a very much misunderstood uh, yeah. phenomenon yeah. well what are what are the other what are the other possibilities for fares because i know that i i constantly get frustrated we, we before we turned on the recorder we talked about how frustrating it is like if you're trying to go inter, interzone on the commuter rail it's so difficult to figure out you know the fares and and it's it's crazy that if you go zone one A, that's basically included in like your monthly, you know, Charlie Pass, Charlie Card, mm-hmm. um, Charlie Ticket is what you need for the zone one A. But if you go one step further, you know, we're still in the city of Boston, but you go one step further, then then you have to pay twice the twice the rate, you know. And you're looking when you look at a monthly rate, like that's kind of crazy. Yeah. You're going a couple times a week, you know, whatever. But um, what are some other fare structures that are possible that are used by other railroads? Do all commuter railroads do this? So, uh, quick note: you can get a you can get the monthly passes uh, now on Charlie. That's cards. true. So well, you have to order online, and it's it's you know, or through work or through work or yes. through work. Uh, so yeah. the the commuter rail fare yeah. system, or you know, even the fare structure, the whole T, but especially the commuter rail, it just needs a complete overhaul. Um, right now, we have there's a lot of inconsistencies. A number of places were added to to the zone A. Uh, bucket 
in recent years, like Chelsea and uh, Malden, I think. West um, Medford. Pretty yeah. much all of the Yorkie. They tried to get a lot of the places that are like were basically are basically considered the city. Although they missed Hyde Park, they missed uh, they Rockdale, missed Rosendale, uh, <laughs> Bellevue, so, and West Roxbury. But this comes up constantly of like these. There's those issues. There's the fact that it's complicated and nobody. It's hard to really understand it. So it's a barrier to ridership. Um, the fact that you have to, like you said, there's there's. You, know, you have to buy your ticket, and then somebody may or may not come check it, and you, it expires in three months. So if somebody doesn't collect it, you can use it again, which is a problem. Um, so the whole thing really needs to just just be completely rethought. And I think the integration between the commuter rail and the subway is something that I that I really have an interest in. I mentioned at the beginning of the show how commuter rail can be really useful as a, an intra-city tool. Um, and right now, the, the system connects to the subway and the bus network very poorly. Um, but even in the places where it logically connects, like in uh, in Malden Center and, and um, you know on the Fairmount Line, there's some places where you know buses. Braintree, buses there's a connection. In Braintree, right, yeah. um, Ruggles, Ruggles, right? Um, it should have been West Medford if the Green Line extension was went out to uh, as far as it should have. Porter, Porter's um, a good connection. Porter Square, right? exactly. Um, so these things are not not very well thought out. Like you buy a so say you buy a ticket for a one time ticket for the commuter rail. Um, you got to pay again for the subway. It's not included. Yeah, that's um, really frustrating. There is the fact that you get a tra- you may get a transfer from uh, bus to subway on your Charlie card, but they don't even take Charlie cards in the commuter rail. Um, and even if you have uh, you know a, a ticket, well, they, they can't take anything. So you, yeah. you don't get it. Works for a month later. Right. Anything else? There's yeah. there's also the issue of the fact that you there are a lot of trips that are really short on the commuter rail, like uh, going out to Waltham or uh, Chelsea, something that that can take forever by bus, but if you if you well, I guess Chelsea's not the right example. Um, I'm thinking uh, West, I'm thinking about Rosendale here, um, or you know, Walton places that are that are not that, that are more expensive for commuter rail, but uh, people wind up sitting on the 70, taking the 70, going to Redline Essential on the 70 all the way out, which takes like an hour. Well, people do that a lot in Rosendale because the you can take uh, the 30, the 37, or the 36 down Belgrade, yes, which runs parallel to the Needham line, and so people. Will spend thirty minutes on that bus, and they'll switch right. over to the orange line rather than you know it would have been only five minutes. You right. know, on the so row. it's a yeah. So what we're basically getting at is that it's it's a lot of uh, lost capacity. And it's um, leading to overcrowded buses. And I overcrowded think that was, buses. Yeah. yeah, keeping our like holding up extra buses that can be used to feed these right. sy- these. I mean, the fact that we vehicles. have what seven? Yeah. What do we have? Seven uh, seven or eight bus routes <laughs> that go over here. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, and the corridor is very is very densely packed with buses. There's a lot of. I mean, they're all they're all very crowded. Um, and the fact that people, you know, people don't want to be. I mean, there's nothing at Forest Hills that you want to take a bus to. You're just going to the Orange Line. So it's. It's not. I mean, I shouldn't. Miss it. Maybe there's a few people that want to go walk up. up maybe soon. Maybe but, soon enough, there will be things at those um, But, but the, the the point is that that there people. Sh- we should be encouraging people to take the the best option for them, right? Rather than having all these barriers where these things don't don't mesh. And one of the reasons that they that the the team never tackled this is because of the politics of it, and because. There's people that are commuting who have much more money, or maybe upper middle class people who are commuting from this area or from Waltham or something going to downtown, and it's he doesn't want those people to have to pay, you know, to, to get to pay like well, two ten. So there's a lot of politics involved in it, but it's never been like maybe we should just we need like a study. well, and this well, this might start changing as as urbanity changes as as our cities are becoming more urban as the more affluent people are beginning to move in and prices go up in the middle of the city 
and people who used to live in the more urban areas where it was cheaper are now being pushed further out. Right. Then we start to have an argument for having more equitable fares. Well, it's it's been an issue. It's been an argument for a while, but I think it it also re- reflects an issue with the weakness of regional planning. Um, because I mean, these are these are things that uh, that should be decided on a regional basis, but we can't seem to. We argue about mm-hmm. oh well, if if you want distance based fares, then Oh, uh, you know, farther farther locations in a zone six or zone eight um, would be charged significantly more. And oh, but that's not fair to my constituents because oh, now you're you know you're charging us more and you're making it unaffordable to for people to live in my district to pay my tax to pay taxes to our city and to pay for our roads and blah 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 blah. I mean, so what's a fair? Why, why is there distance-based fares? I mean, I guess there's distance-based fare. I guess it's distance-based on the the mass pike also to a certain mm-hmm. extent, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. Do you pay much more right now in tolls if you come from Metro West than if you just hop on at Waltham? No, I think it's like a dollar difference or something. Yeah. I think the toll is pretty cheap. It's like just enough to be to be like something like nothing to most people. I, I'm, th- yeah. I'm thinking most people who are driving and paying tolls aren't thinking as much about the toll as people yeah. who are taking the commuter rail are thinking about the difference. Yeah, like that's a big part. I know when my wife yeah. and I were looking at houses, I was definitely thinking, okay, zone one might be doable. I definitely don't want to go above zone one when you're because then you got to start doing the math on like the differences in <laughs> yeah. the differences in your monthly mortgage payment and the differences in your transportation costs. You got it's the whole package has to make sense, you know. A lot of people don't don't do that until it's <laughs> like, oh. But wait, my commuter rail is now very expensive. I live in a very cheap house, but it's very expensive for me. I was like sort of so I'll just drive. I was know? sort of creating my own little zone, like like heat maps of like commuter yeah. rail zones and like transit surface service yeah. and like price of real estate. And I've had friends. I've had a friend recently have to do that. Um, he's unfortunately recently become. Uh, he he had to deal with uh, having to be kicked out of his house and uh, living with his grandparents in uh, I think it was uh, Lowell. Uh, but one of the one of the constraints was the person that he had to live with couldn't um, couldn't live farther than forty five minutes from Emerson for some reason. Um, but also, it couldn't be farther by driving than forty five minutes. Which and then and then and then there was the the affordability aspect. And so what ended up happening is there's this kind of ring around Boston where you can't end up you end up paying um, uh, inside of that ring. You will pay. You will definitely pay more than a thousand dollars per bedroom. But then, outside of that ring, it's also easier to get into Boston within the same amount of time that it would take for you to commute, or it becomes faster. So, for example, commuting. Well, I, I Boston, think what you're saying is that you know commuting into the city from very close inner suburbs or further out yeah. of actually in the city takes. Uh, the same amount of time as commuting from further out. Yeah, a lot right. of times. Like, 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 like Fields Corner is a good example of this, right? Yeah. Or Upham's Corner, right? Well, yeah, especially Fields, Fields Corner even further out. So say you want to get downtown from Fields Corner. I mean, just saying downtown. Not everybody goes downtown. But say you yeah. want to get downtown. I mean, you have to take the bus. It's like a solid half an hour to get over to, to, to um, Ruggles. And then you got to get on the orange line. You wait for it. Maybe it's broken down, whatever. You know, if you're if you're out, like, you know, in Framingham, I mean, it trains 45 minutes from Framingham into, into downtown, right? So... It's like the, the the inequities right there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're paying faster for a high, paying more for a higher quality service, but um, you know, there's big inequities in the system, and the way mm-hmm. the way that decisions are made, it's not like a rational free market where there's like a, you know the center of the universe, and then everybody you know you you pay the, the prices increase exponentially right. with a certain radius from you know it's not like a perfect free market in the way it works. Like you know, people live in different places for various geographic and, and equity reasons, and 
you know, we need to that needs to really be taken into account. Right. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about this holistically too, outside of just transit. How you know, uh, th- like this dilemma here, where uh, with my with my specific friend who. Um, again, it was either 45 minutes by transit or 45 minutes by driving. And, you know, living in Lowell during ru- driving during Russia or driving when you can when as a student, um, it's 45 minutes in from Lowell and, you know, you beat the train. So beyond a certain radius, it becomes more economical in terms of time cost to just live farther out. Uh, and, and that also speaks to, again, the, the modal modal inequity of, of we've spent all of this money in making it easy to drive downtown or drive into downtown um, than, than we have, say, for the north-south railing. We have that little tiny reservation uh, underneath um, yeah. and between the uh, the central artery, the, the big dig, but uh, now we're having this argument about... You know, well, and the articles came out, there was an article this weekend, in the Glo- there were several articles in the Globe this weekend about yeah. commuter rail. Um, and and one of them, one of the big headlines was that well, you know, traffic is the same. This, this, we have the same congestion now as we did before the big dig was was put into place. No kidding. Which is like no surprise, right? right? Like right. everybody could have called that. They basically said, well, what we've achieved is uh, we have more capacity, so we've attracted more drivers. Mm-hmm. So now we just push the congestion further out to the suburbs. Yes. Yeah. You know? Now you have the, now the pressure points are out outside of the city. Right. And exactly. now and now the state is now it's just congestion yeah. all the way yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> and the state says, "Oh, we don't want to do. We don't. We're not going to build any more. It's part of their agenda. They're not going to build any more uh, highways. But um, from based on the projects that are already in the pipeline, I see plenty of projects that are adding additional capacity or, or adding lanes, adding or, lanes, or, which know. is still building highway capacity. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, and it, it occurs to me. I mean, there's there's some nice externalities um, of the big dig. Just like if you're in downtown Boston, like." You know, aesthetics-wise, it's nice to have the Rose Kennedy Greenway instead of this, like, superstructure. But that being said, you know, it would have been nicer to put $20 billion into just, like, improving the yeah. transit infrastructure. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I like to... Than, like, than, like not gaining anything. Yeah. I, I seem yeah. to be in, the, in a very, very unpopular camp when I say, if we had simply not built the big dig, the central artery, and instead boulevardized the highway, or, I guess, built... Which taking, is what's happening now. Yeah. It's kind of taking the country now, is that people are boulevardizing their well, downtown. I don't want to get but, too excited about boulevards, but, uh, but no, we maybe built, that's another topic. Well, so we, we, we effectively added uh, six lanes downtown, even though you do have the two surface. So, so yeah. my, my contention is that between North, between North and South Station, we've significantly complicated the North-South rail link and hemmed it in because we, because we needed to build on, on and off ramps yeah, right. downtown. We needed yeah. to build the central artery. If we had simply not built the central artery, but, in, but you know, maybe rebuilt the Zakem Bridge or whatever, and then continued to have that, the boulevard downtown... But instead, also having the commuter rail, twenty billion dollars into commuter rail, commuter, yeah, that's uh, a North South rail. Thing. I mean, I mean, it's a staggering figure. I, now, obviously, the way politics works and everything, like, yeah. you know, you, you couldn't. It's not like you can just get twenty billion dollars to spend on anything else. But, um, but it's just a staggering. And what was it supposed to be? Two billion to begin with. It's something, like something like that. that, yeah. So, but even like, but think about the kinds of projects that you could have. Yeah, it was a zombie project that was uh, yeah. from the from the eight from the seventies and eighties that just kept going and going. It was a juggernaut, and it just mm-hmm. kept going. And it, by the time the the nineties rolled around, they were they policy was coming to, coming around to seeing that oh well, when we finally finish the big dig, our traffic is just going to go back up, and you know. Right. It, it was it was short sighted planning. Well, and, and now there's more there's more support. Well, 
in some places, there's more support for this idea that if you just kind of get rid of your um, your crosstown interstate system mm-hmm. and you sort of allow the interstate to end like as it comes into town, then you're actually going to the capacity of diffusing your traffic through your entire grid of streets, which Boston's grid is not the same as yeah, we don't have a grid. other grids. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, theoretically, like, you actually can handle the traffic better oh, yeah. in a whole bunch of little rivulets of traffic rather than funneling everybody to, like, these, you know, exits where you're trying to get thousands of cars, you know, mm-hmm. onto Atlantic Avenue or something right. like that, which is the bottleneck. Oh, yeah. You know, that you have, which, which, you know, a lot of times, actually, the central artery, the biggest problem is that the on-ramps are bad. Backed up. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not the artery itself. It's just the, yeah. where people are getting off. I look, I look forward to a day when we can... Or the off-ramps are backed <laughs> up. Uh, where we can propose the, the north-south rail link just, you know, plow through the existing tunnels that are there for the... For the for the central artery and just end the interstate there. Uh, yeah, though I hope it gets built before then. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. you know, so so we want to talk about the north south rail link, yeah. and yeah. this is an important topic because it's been been pushed in, in recent days, and there's a working group now with uh, mayors and of a couple towns, uh, Somerville, Lots of reps. one of them, Newton's one, um, yeah, a bunch of representatives, and uh, they're pushing this north south rail link. So I thought maybe one of us want to explain like what the what this current vision of the north south rail link is, so yeah. people understand this. Well, and, I, I don't know if there's really a specific vision, but I think what Dukakis is really trying to push is the North-South Rail Link is a critical component in turning commuter rail into, uh, like what we were talking about, this regional rail network for uh, eastern Massachusetts. Um, So that what would necessarily come with North-South Rail Link is not only just simply the the link of North Station to South Station, um, but continued continued through service, higher capacity without necessarily needing to significantly add capa- like physical capacity of tracks and new platforms at North and South Station mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that's needed for the, the South Station expansion, like uh, uh, that Baker is trying to push or is pushing and is going going forward with. Uh, so basically what it's doing is what it basically because because the trains can proceed straight through and, you know, on a, yeah. and just move straight through and not lay over downtown there. There is no you're saying there's no need for to expand South Station or North Station with current levels of service because right. it's just. You know, you don't need as many tracks, right? Because you can serve that many number. That well, and they can they can lay over in other places. They, they can, can lay, lay over, over further places, exactly. out where there's more right. real estate yep. anyway. Yeah, and and would, what it would necessary what would not necessarily also be included in North South Rail Link is uh, full electrification or some sort of dual mode locomotives or whatever for the entire commuter rail network, um, or or even at least in phases in term, you know, like the in electrification of service inside the 128 mm-hmm. ring, and then progressively outside of the city, or a bunch of dual, just at, least, at the very least, at the very least, dual mode locomotives that can run on electric and diesel that would change at some point. Yep. To get through the tunnel, yep. at the very least. Yeah. The vision would be um, would be rapid rapid transit like service inside the 128 ring or whatever arbitrary line you want to draw. Um, with a, a number of increased, a number of uh, infill stations to effectively offload a lot of capacity, to effectively have a second, we would effectively building be building a second subway, um, or even no. like a 
I think it's like a Ruhr style, like like um, in Paris. Yeah. RER, uh, is R- like there's all of the subway systems that were built and designed in the 1970s, like uh, at San Francisco, uh, San Francisco's BART, um, the uh, the Washington Metro in DC. It's RER. true. I don't really think BART is more of like a commuter rail. Yeah. Like to, yeah, it's, it's designed as BART like, to the Muni is sort of like our commuter rail to the MBTA. Yeah. 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 And, and it and it goes right through downtown and effectively. I don't think a lot of people actually use it this way, but it's effectively an express train through downtown San Francisco from the Embarcadero out to like Mission District. Oh, a lot of people use it for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, because they also they don't have a they they didn't have a subway before that. Right. So that, like that, it makes more sense why they have distance-based fares, I guess. Yeah, well, because also it was it was it was huge in the 1970s, and that was also uh, that was also when the planning was done for uh, the Hong Kong Metro, uh, which is now the most successful. If you want to look at it from a profit perspective, the most successful uh, transit system out there. I mean, there. it seems to me like if you're going to use those kind of analogies, like Wamada in DC, almost seems more like yeah. a commuter rail, like. Type serve. I mean, they, they, it's rapid transit. It is rapid transit it's, inside. It's the sort city. of more like BART than it is like you know. Well, like they were all designed effectively under the same premise of you know you do through running so that way you don't have to have these massive you know nineteenth century or eighteenth century style terminal yeah. stations. And you create right. a network. And, and what that means is you just stay like for example like the Providence line might continue to be to be the Fitchburg line or just right. this is an example. And some some people um, are like, oh, why would I ever want that? I'm not going to go from from Worcester to wherever. But it's it's about the it's about right. the network. Well, it's it's right. a it's a really good point because I think there's certain thresholds that once you get past, it changes the way people think about right. mobility. And we've talked about mobility a lot, you know, on our, on our podcast here. But you know, in, in Boston, people put lots of energy into well. Do I need to live on the north north shore or the south shore? Yeah. Or can I live to the west? And it's all about well, do I need to be closer to the south station or north station, or mm-hmm. you know, Kendall Square or Porter, or, you know, or, or Longwood Medical or something yeah. like that? And people, there's all kinds of calculations about that that are very difficult, which mm-hmm. does really weird things to our real estate markets, also. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that that in the, in the article that the Globe where they were talking about how. You know, the big dig didn't really help traffic congestion 10 years later. They were also talking about how, you know, commuter rail picked up significantly on the South Shore, but not on the North Shore. Um, The numbers are up on the North Shore, but not significantly um, as a comparison. And it's roughly the same percentage of people are taking commuter rail. And and it's probably has a lot to do with, you know, the poor connectivity of, of North Station compared to... Um, to South Station, uh, right. as far as like once you get town, downtown, what do you do? And the number right. of jobs that are accessible, you know, from Absolutely. North Station versus South Station. Right. I'm a big fan. Of, sorry, yeah. Oh no, because if you could do if you could do North South Rail Link, say for example, a uh, a Rockport line goes goes to Worcester or something, you immediately or or even any connection that goes through North Station directly into Back Bay, that that duplicates the Orange Line, but then that's that's a you have significantly more capacity. You have one seat. Ri- Those are the kinds of one seat rides right. that affect uh, the jo- the the real estate and job market, like you're talking about. Where yeah, and, I'm and it's not just the one seat rides, but the easy layovers. Yeah, the yeah. you know the the network yeah. creates easy connections, and you're thinking of of the volume of trains that would be going through that um, that tunnel. You and the number of options you would have coming out, you could go to all points. Mm-hmm. You know what this um, reminds me of, and I I compare I compare the. Uh, the North South Rail Link reminds me of a place where, that I compare to Boston a lot, which is Philadelphia. Yeah, um, it's up to re- they have what they uh, they actually call regional rail. Well, they messed, um, it, they messed <laughs> it up in some ways, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's perfect. But it, but it is all electrified, which is which is beautiful. Yeah, um, and they they run they basically have they have three suburban stations. 
uh, three excuse me three states in the in the center of the city and it wasn't always they weren't always con- connected i mean trains used to their trains from the west used to end and other places used to end at 30th street station on the west mm-hmm. side of the, the school river i believe and then there were other trains that ended at what was called suburban station which uh, well, market east or suburban i forget one of the two um coming from the east and they had this big gap uh, just like we do although it wasn't quite as bad because they had a subway that that one one line you know and so it was a little easier but i think it was actually closer walking distance but they at one point connected those and now you have trains that that run through and that's that's just what they do so it it provides what it provides is is not just uh you know to get within the center of the city but all points it opens up a whole lot of a whole lot of options and i'm a big fan of infill development and particularly putting commuter rail stations in places like sullivan and everett and alewife um revere uh, places where there's there's a gap in the system or where it could foster a connection um, when the orange line was was relocated north and um you know a long time ago they put malden they put a, a stop in malden um, there's actually a stop at Oak Grove too, but they only use it in emergencies. But there's, um, and, but it, you know, it allows for that that if there's like a delay on the Orange Line or something, people can take the commuter rail, and then you know further south they have it too. It's the idea of, of connecting places and offering more options, like we were talking about before, um, like to be able to take the train from from places that from you know the Chelseas of the world and yeah. um, further in Cambridge and places um, even out here. Um, we talked about Roxbury. There's there are a couple of stations being developed on the Worcester line, but a big part of this is that you need the frequency too. So if you really want to make this a city transit option, it's got to be more than once every hour. It's got to be you know you've got to have sh- shorter lines that use the same corridor and then operate together. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of that. And basically, that's what RER is in Paris, right? Where they have a bunch yep. of lines. Yeah, so the North South Rail Link it basically does that, where you have say say there's ten different lines that are running like every hour. But they combine downtown. All of a sudden, now you have service. What is that? Every six minutes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of a sudden, you have service every six minutes. Now you have or a even rapid transit option in yeah. downtown. And so, yeah. So what, what would that what would that corridor be? It would sort of be like between mm-hmm. between the new the new um, Boston Landing Station and roughly like Chelsea. Would that sort of be a corridor? Well, you can, do, you can find the, the places, corner in any like, number of ways. Yeah, that, like that all the be, places that would have like a trunk, the main. What would you trunk. link? Yeah, what would you link? Yeah, all the, all the yeah. you know, yeah. that would become sort right. of part of the new. Why am I blanking on Boston Landing? Where is that? The, oh, the new one at the new the, the New Balance. Balance development. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the cruise ship. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah it does look like cruise ship. I never thought of that before. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, because it, you know they're putting that that station there, the New Balance Landing. And um, well, then there's it's station. it's like limited usefulness until you have right. you know more frequency. Right. On and station. once you get the frequency, then you could look at other things that change in the bus network and doing shuttles and. Well, and Jim Aloisi brought up a good point when he was on the show. Um, was that two months ago now? Yep. <laughs> um, and he was talking about how you know he had a conversation with Ari Offsevit uh, about the connection between Yaki and Kendall Square. You know, in Cambridge and how, right. you know, and that's one thing that I always thought about. Yaki was not very well connected to the, the Green Line stops that are near it. It's right. kind of difficult to get around that area if you wanted to go between the Green Line and the commuter rail. Um, but I, that was a really good point about, you know, the bus service that they offer between mm-hmm. people could get off at Yaki and go to Cambridge. Um, I mean, they can. They can get off and... Um, you know, walk, but, yeah. and there's buses, but... And the slow. And yeah, exactly. There's not great connection there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Not to say that there's anything inherently slow about buses, but unfortunately they do get stuck in traffic. <laughs> the way we run, this is the, the debate about the buses versus trains. People love trains because they think that, because they know the trains and they say, oh, well, buses suck because they're always stuck in traffic and they're slow. And But uh, that's just because of the way, that's the way we run the buses, but we don't have to. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, we're talking about speed. Um, there was uh, multiple articles. I, I'm not really sure where, what this came out of. Um, and I was really surprised to see it in the Globe this weekend. They um, basically the Globe had reporters. They sent reporters out to the far reaches of the commuter rail system, and they they had head-to-head races, car versus commuter rail. Yeah. Um, on the first Wednesday after Labor Day, and so they went from uh, what is it, Ashland and Sixtuate, um and What was the other town? Was it Rowley? Was that the other one? And uh, somewhere near, I think, Newburyport or something like that. And so they, they, they basically would... And the commuter rail won everyone, and a couple of them it won hands down, I think. Yeah. Um, and so... Well, think, how did they do it? Did they do it? They, well, they, they did. They basically, they, they, they basically met in the commuter rail parking lot. Uh-huh. And, and the one person got on the train, and the other person pulled out of the parking lot. Uh-huh. And then they, okay. they met at South Stage, or they met okay. at North Station, which is... Kind of that's kind of rigged. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, I was happy to see it, you know. Yeah. But in a good way. <laughs> yeah. because because obviously your trip from home wouldn't necessarily make you go through the commuter rail parking lot if you were to drive. Or, but this <laughs> is what it would look like if everyone lived at the commuter rail stations, basically. What Which is a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, if, yeah, you're, if you if you were living, you know, in in downtown um, Worcester. Let's let's use Worcester as an example. Yeah, the new development living, that's going in at the exactly. foot of Union Square, and you were Union thinking Station. about driving or staying the commuter. And and so I think it does speak to. The way our commuter rail should work, <laughs> yeah, it should be that type of point to point. But that's one of the one of the calculations that I don't think is really reflected very well in our fare structures of commuter rail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, granted, the commuter rail won these races, which I thought was a really a really good thing, and and it fairly, you know, it it did seem, you know, the, the people who rode they enjoyed the fact that. They were getting work done, and they were yeah. relaxing, and they could sleep or whatever they could do. I and they still got there, you know, in time. They didn't have to pay for parking downtown. Yeah. But our commuter rail fare structure doesn't really reflect the fact that if you if you ha- operate a park-and-ride system, you're building extra hassle into the system right. and extra costs. So people, if you have a park-and-ride, well, they're going to have to have a car to get there, right? And we assume people do have a car, but maybe that forces them to have two cars instead of one car. Because one spouse maybe isn't going downtown, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe they can't drop you off because of whenever they're there. So, so they have the extra wrinkle of having to have a car to get you to the commuter rail stop because it's a park and ride, and then you have to pay for the parking, and then you have to pay for the commuter rail pass, and then you have to compare that to the price of parking downtown or whatever. And I, and I, I think a lot of times commuter rail does win, but if you add all those things together, I, I can definitely understand why people don't want to take the commuter rail. Editor's note: uh, Just in case you thought that we did not cover the uh, recent agreement between the MBTA and Keolis, as well as the uh, what just came out on the day that we recorded this show, the tease, the uh, financial, the fiscal and management control board's 60-day report on their progress so far. Um, we did try to cover the two of those. Uh, we realized we had nothing to say because uh, the agreement with Keolis is like, okay, yeah, yawn. And the uh, 60-day progress report, it's like, well, the MBTA has no money, and the people who run the MBTA really have no idea how to run a world-class transit agency, and we're like, uh, yeah, we know those two things, so um, no news. Uh, I was going to say no news is good news, but that's not really the case. So um, on to the next topic, uh, I'm going to talk about the uh, Winter Resiliency Improvement Program that the MBTA is embarking on. And apparently, I am in the middle of a rant here about shuttle buses. 
So that's another thing that I wanted wanted to hit on is that the thanks. weekend, you know, often when you do shuttle buses, they, the T, I feel like the T often thinks, of, still thinks of itself as like a peak hour, is like motivated mainly by the peak hours. Oh, yeah. Even though the ridership has gone way up over the years and on the and the weekends and evenings and, and midday. I mean, you take the train in the midday, it's just as crowded as in the rush hour. You take a train on the weekend, yeah. it's crowded. No, it's you like, have a great point is that peak, like off peak here, it's still full trains. It's just not like standing room. Well, <laughs> yeah. less than standing room right. only. That's the difference. Right. Between you can get on it, usually. Yeah. Right. Well, but, New York City is yeah. also dealing with this problem, too, yeah. where their trains, where their 2 o'clock in the morning trains are right. just as full as a 5 o'clock yeah. in the evening train. That's right. And, of course, they now, they, of course, they run them every 20 minutes at that time. But, right. it's, I mean, the well, point is Trains on Sunday afternoons are, are, are packed yeah. in, yeah, in a lot of places in the city. They were, yeah. they were this Sunday, you yeah. know. So I just, I just worry that we often, when we do stuff to benefit oh here's a, a perfect example of this is the Fitchburg line has been shut down completely on the weekends yeah no shuttle bus service nothing well Needham didn't have didn't have any weekend service until right. this like, is, what yeah. this but this spring? is but this is a so I mean I'm thinking of the Fitchburg line because this is like they, they were doing an improvement project mm-hmm. over several years to improve the speeds and they're you know thinking about this the is, rush hour right yeah this is to facilitate but, a double tracking project right yeah. which is which is great sure okay a good project but just just complete shutdown with no replacement service, nothing. They just I guess they just assume that everybody will just drive to somewhere else, which goes to the point we talked about earlier. Um, and they're like, so, you know, you people going out to Waltham, going to you know Belmont, in Porter Square. I mean, you're not. And the T just thinks like, oh, this is okay, that's fine, we can do because because people don't use it on the weekend. Yeah, but that's not true. Well, it, it's like they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they don't do, if they do like uh, operationally. Uh, there are many instances where they legitimately could not do any work at all based on like OSHA, OSHA safety and all of that sort of stuff for them to do like a single track and then like close the line and rush in and do some work, then close the line again and then, or, or you know, stop the work so that a train can go through. Uh, in WMATA, there's uh, a lot of their tunnels are deep bore so they can do one track. Um, without having to bother the other track, and they're also they're also um, computerized controls. So, uh, in in as much as the the tracks the track circuits are working, they can uh, a single um, they can wrong rail a train effectively using the tr- using the track to carry both directions of traffic um, by only allowing one train in a single set uh, section at a time. Um, but if they if they didn't if they didn't do a closure, um, and you know they just the projects would just drone on and on and on and on. So, say for example, like the uh, the the Green Line uh, closure of Government Center, or both green and green and blue, um, they have done full. Uh, they've extended uh, the Bowdoin station to do to be a full service station rather than like shutting down after I think it's like 8:30 in the evening and then only only doing trains through government center uh, I mean there is a there is a shuttle that that goes between government center and Haymarket right. and that's Nobody mostly rides, empty yeah, but so. I'm just saying this government center yeah. station better be amazing better to shut be. it down for 2 years yeah. Yeah. but it's 2 years as opposed to 3 as they projected 3 or maybe yeah. even 4 or 5 years How come is there a reason that there was nothing done with the fares because I mean I mean, let's be honest. Like downtown, all those stations are super close together. There's never been a red blue connector. That's always been a problem, you know. So now there's no, there's no, what is it? Uh, there's no green blue connector. Um, and so, but to have to take, to have to like get on the orange line for one stop, you know, and maybe if it's a weekend, you got to wait for it. If it's rush hour, it's super packed. Like, 
I mean, is there, was there any, was there ever anything considered to be done with the fares, which really sh- might maybe should be done permanently, so that you can like leave the station and go walk like a quarter of a mile, get back, in, you know, get on the blue line or whatever, so that you're oh, not right, you know, to allow that because transfer. like right now you can do that if you have a pass, but you know, there's a lot of people that don't have passes for various reasons. Um, well, tell me how the transfer works because I think the transfer was a timed thing. The transfer is, well, the transfer from subway to bus or vice versa is a time thing. I believe you have two hours for it and you get you one. Can't do, you can't leave the subway and then re-enter the subway. Yes. Yeah. So you can't, you couldn't get out of the, uh, the red line at downtown crossing and walk over to State Street and get on the blue line. Because if I get off the bus, so like I've got a P.O. box on downtown Ro- or in Rosley Square. If I get off the bus and get back on, it treats like a transfer. Depends which bus. If you get yeah. on a different bus, yes. <laughs> if you get on a different bus going oh, in. Oh, yeah. so if I took the 34 in and then the 40 picks me up, right. that's yeah. why. Because I never caught the same bus. Right. Okay. It's considered a transfer, yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like if you were taking the same bus in the opposite direction, it'd be like, oh, yeah, this is a this is a new trip. Mm-hmm. We're not going to give them a transfer. Yeah. Well, I don't understand why it wouldn't work the same way. Why can't it work the same way if you're getting from one subway to another? Why would um, that not be a yeah, no, that the would, same as getting from one bus it, to another? It would be something. Yeah. Like we actually know operationally it doesn't work that way? It doesn't work that way. No. Yeah, that's the fact. I've never tried it. So. Um, yeah, I mean, feel free. If it yeah. Works. It's, <laughs> no, yeah but, it's, um, it's not like in New York City where there are stations that are very close to each other. And well, all of our downtown stations are very close. I mean, well, New York has a few that they've right. specifically programmed into yeah. the Metro card that if you walk from... They tell you. There's a couple of them. 53rd, it's 53rd in Lexington on the one on the 456, okay. uh, which is the, the one that goes up and down Lexington Avenue. And right, you can walk, walk to over F, right? to, I think it's either the F or the N or the R station. But okay. the reason why they give that to you is because there's no insistence connection from that station right. to the other station even right. though I think they're practically on top of each other right but they're like because they're com- yeah because I right. mean they don't there's no connections because they yeah. were actually two different corporations yeah uh, competing politics. for writers yeah. right essentially it's politics. a legacy system so, so we have a similar thing and I was just sort of wondering if that's like everybody I, I would like to see it that yeah. would have been something yeah. that we should have said at when they were originally proposing the closure <laughs> but or but nobody I, well, I guess either nobody said it or, or I guess egg on our faces or yeah anything. yeah but again, it, it's. I mean, ultimately, ultimately this well, whole closure in our defense, is. In our defense, we weren't around when. <laughs> we were a blog. Yeah, yeah we were a blog. I people still think we're a blog. But ultimately, we're... <laughs> this is all just like helping Uber, I think, you know? Oh, uh, see, yeah. This is, uh, people are like, well, for that airport trip, I'm just going to take an Uber now. Anything, anything that helps Uber, I, I want nothing to be a <laughs> yeah. part of. Well, yeah, the calculus works out some nowadays without the transfer, or with that transfer gone, that. Yeah, in many cases you take Uber or whatever because the time that it would take to right. to get out of the system, lug your luggage um, over to the other station is just. So can we speaking of slow things? Can we can we talk about the Green, Green Line extension? This was uh, something that came up. Um, well, it, it was a couple of weeks ago, a month ago. There was the news that the Green Line extension is projected to be way over budget. Uh, surprise! Surprise! Um, only like a well, billion dollars over, yeah. though, right? Okay, so <laughs> you're sharing my perspective about the cost, about a billion dollars basically being nothing when we raise all the money, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this was, so this was uh, news that kind of shocked a lot of people. It was a very... Uh, it was more like a, a, a gut punch is what it yeah, was. Yeah, and, and it really really kind of an insult to... Especially like, to, to Stephanie yeah. Pollock. And, wanted to show, <laughs> and it like, was right after Dukakis was getting some, like... 
getting revved up with his north-south rail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, why, how, how, why should we do north-south rail link if we can't it's even like, do a green line extension? He got, a, he got a few good like editorials, and then, bam, here's an extra billion dollars. So, I mean, we I put up a post on the website that we you know we all contributed to on the, uh, the green line extension, and basically our position is that it needs to be done, and we need to do it, and we, we should stop trying to find places of compromise, and we should just get the damn thing done. Right. Now I wonder if now it seems like a pretty pretty common position. This isn't like any uh, like noteworthy. It's just that you know we're the transit people and we said it. But um, we I'm wondering if the reason for the cost, the cost being what it is, has anything to do with um, the fact that we rely on private contractors to do all this stuff. Um, I mean, the T knows what they like need. A, you mean like instead of the Civilian Conservation Corps? Is that what you're saying? Oh, or, or just like the T doing it. Like, I mean, the T knows how to build. Like, they know what a green, what is needed with the green line, right? right. It's like, why, why don't we just like just hire people to do it? Well, so... Uh, like to build the stations? Yeah, and, like yeah. why do we have these private contractors come in and, and then a private contractor design the thing and then build it, which kind of is like an opportunity for rigging, if you ask me. Well, there's, <laughs> there's a nuanced conversation there because if you just look at the cost... Well, on the one side, there's the issue of uh, under um, underestimation of the actual cost that is in an inherent and known and well-documented issue in the United States, where transportation mm-hmm. projects are often underquoted. Because they go to the lowest bidder. Be- well, not only because they go to the lowest bidder, but because of just an overall underestimation of the estimate of the actual costs um, that are projected for this for a project. Um, like You're saying, there's something culturally about. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah culturally, we are not. We are. Uh, we are underselling, yeah. or uh, I guess in some ways overselling the cheapness right. of a project. Well, and I think what you're getting at is there's there's kind of a debate about well, is this billion dollar you know new you know higher new estimate is that a reflection of it's sort of like, are we building in what we would have seen later? Cost right. Overruns? That's that's the kind of thing. You know, exactly. Which, I mean, right. it's, I think it's hard for people to believe that it would have been a billion dollars in cost overruns. Right. But it's like the new process that the T used for the first time yeah. with the Greenland extension basically told people, you know, you need to guarantee your maximum bid as opposed to giving us your best bid. Right. Right. And so it was sort of incentive for them to pad it on the front end. As opposed to maybe the way we usually do bidding, there's an incentive to sort of undercut yourself yep. and then like, well, you know, we'll be able to add the cost overruns in later. Right. And then there's the other issue of, and I, I can't remember who I was discussing this with, but what seems to be conflated as the project, co- like costs that are involved in the project are also um, util- like utility relocations, things that aren't exact, that, things that are not specifically germane to the actual laying of the rails, construction of the station, all of that sort of stuff. Because this is also a very dense corridor where um, they're going to need to build uh, sh- like uh, retaining walls, uh, utility relocations, and all of these other things. It's, we're not building gold-plated right. stations, and we're not you know tossing our money necessarily to private contractors. It's it's a conflation of the costs of construction of the of the the, the stations and the line, uh, and then all of the other ancillary things. That- it is frustrating, though, that we're. I mean, basically, the entire extent of the four point seven mile extension is had rail at some point. Either either mm-hmm. has rail now or had rail at some point. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure Union Square had a trolley going to it at some point. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. And the entire rest of the extension runs along current trackage. So it's kind of frustrating that it would be that expensive 
mm-hmm. to put in an extension where there's yeah. already rails. <laughs> I mean, we're essentially like digging and doing a lot of because of the way that the computer checks. I think may even have been moved. Or that we have to yeah. move. Them. We yeah. have to relocate them. We again, it's 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 effectively prepping the entire corridor. The moment that we touch it, we have to build it to spec. Yeah. And specs are different than than they were. Years ago, yeah. uh, I mean that's not that doesn't explain all of the costs away, but uh, it is it is a contributing factor to these elevating costs. Is that uh, I, I have no doubt that that private contracting and you know possibly putting it out to rebid, I think, which is what they're doing, um, is well uh, they're looking at it close because yeah. Stephanie Pollock has said, Secretary Pollock has said. You know, we need to think about this carefully because we might actually put ourselves in a worse situation. Mm-hmm. Um, both from, you know, if you if you're going to put it out for another bid, the delays and remember, time is money, yeah. especially yeah. in in the amount of escalation we see in construction costs in, in the Boston area due to, right. to heavy demand for construction. You know, it may be that you push it further out. Well, the economy it is maybe even, even more expensive yeah. because just construction will cost more. By delaying labor, a few materials, years. Right. all of that. Sort I, of I right. worry yeah. that some of the that the, the project will be cut down, and th- certain things. You know, people are talking about. Oh, you know, we we need to, we don't need quite as nice stations, or so they'll go from two head houses to one. Well, we already. Well, I, don't, the yeah, I guess path. I sort of agree with. I don't want to cut the bike path, but I, I do feel like you know. I mean, the Green Line is pretty famous for its like bus stop type, you know, stations. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I don't really. I you know, I would rather have the green line be extended than have some amazing station that the rest of the green line doesn't have anyway. Well, so. to certain, to, we can pare it down to a certain extent and then it's no longer excessive. And then it's no longer within regulation of, uh, you know, right. according to the Americans with Disabilities Act of 2000, of, of 2009. No, I guess that's uh, true. A lot of the green line doesn't meet the ADA. No, And that's the reason right. it doesn't is because it would be this expensive to make it. Right. But the, but the central order, the central subway stations uh, from Kenmore all the way out to, uh, well, government centers, uh, 50 million dollar yeah. redo is being funded as part of a mandate by the ADA uh, I think the only one is going to be the only the only subway station is going to be Heinz Convention Center and Wollaston and, and Heinz is going to be redeveloped yeah, that's soon that's as part works. of a construction project uh, private developer that's building over a, a pike parcel there and, and I gotta say even just having like you know nobody in the family is handicapped but just having like a kid in a stroller sometimes yeah. Trying to navigate even accessible yeah. stations is yeah. just a royal pain. Yeah. You know, it's like Haymarket to get on the Orange Line, mm. going inbound. You know, to go to go southbound. It's like you have to take four elevators. You know. Oh yeah, that's it's, right. it's well, absurd. Yeah. That's many. That's many, That's much of the reason why when I was growing up in New York City, a lot of the stations there too are also not accessible. Um, oh yeah. We, uh, my right. mom had an umbrella stroller, and I learned to walk at a very early age. So, um, well, that's what it was this weekend. I was yeah. like, trying to think, why were we doing that? It's because the chain on my wife's bike broke, and so we were having. You to had to actually, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've we couldn't ride home. Too. It's like yeah. you know, you just you just put in an elevator, and it's like that. You know, you got to think that that through a little bit. Um, I know that the people complain that that they're supposed to be. I think these stations are supposed to be designed with two elevators. Because yep. the T now does redundant elevators. Yes. Which, I mean, somebody, some people say that's excessive, but, I mean, you know, the argument is that basically an elevator is, you know, the, some, because they were having all these reliability issues, yeah. and I could well, talk about the moment, The moment that you have you don't have lift ac- access to a station, you have to do shuttle, or the, the right. T has to do shuttle buses, because then that station yeah. is not accessible anymore. Right. So, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, if, if elevators, you know, it seems like 
escalators are there's always a broken escalator in like yeah. almost every station you go to well if you think the kind of use that they get i mean yeah, they're operating 20 hours a day and, and carrying a lot of people that's Maybe a, they're on all the time that's something know. you can fix through contracts it's, so, so, <laughs> yeah. what are, so we're yeah. saying we're saying basically like we, we you know we understand there might have to be some pairing back of yeah. the stations on the green line extension but but also very, somerville yeah. is stepping up with some of the uh, oh, really they're trying okay. to give creative ways creative that ways they can to build it into the development costs well, so this is like we've talked about value capture before and Mm-hmm. You know, this is like, you know, it was a missed opportunity and there's, there's starting to be some talk about maybe we can get that in right. there now. And I think it's something we should think about going forward because if we can get, you know, if we can get the value capture to fund right. the project or even or even uh, if we get it afterwards, then it funds the next project. So then, yeah, so then the essential question is effectively that you're suggesting is the essential question, the essential issue is not that it costs money to build these things because it does, but more so how how really should we be paying for a 20th 21st century subway system and the capital costs that are associated with that because we we've, we've definitely underinvested and now it's going to cost a significant amount one way one well, it's, way, a, it's a wake up call every yeah. we have lots of projects that yeah. we need to do mm-hmm. and every one of them yeah. is going to have 3 billion dollars is a drop in the bucket to the amount of infrastructure yeah. needs that we have across the system we we've already like we've already seen the uh, the MBTA well, 7 billion just for state of good repair for state of good right? repair mm-hmm. and that's and and by many by many people who are who are inside the the machine? Many people many people have suggested that this is this is just the tip of the iceberg. That that does not that is not entirely inclusive of all of the 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 issues that we have in our system today. Well, we know. I mean that from you know if you've read the, our our vision on the on the, the website yeah. um, at transmatters.info. We, I mean, there's. It's not just about fixing the signals and the switches and the things that failed. Yeah. I mean, it's about the system is severely overcrowded at various mm-hmm. spots. Um, you know, the bus network doesn't connect yeah. very well to the way it should. Um, services are too infrequent. Right. There's a, a lot of problems, and so if you just focus on the, on this, you know, state of so-called state of good repair, uh, the tracks right. and the switches and all that, and then having new vehicles and all that, then a, you're not going to be. It's going to be very hard to get political will because. You know, everybody says good things about it, but, right. you know, if they can't cut a ribbon or whatever, then, you know, people, you know, it's like, and people don't necessarily see, a, they don't correlate it to, like, this is going to do this for me, you know, this this new service yeah. that I'm now going to be able to use. Like, they don't correlate it to that. And and secondly, you're going to miss out on all the, the rest of the need, things that are actually needed. Yeah. So why not, like, put it all together and think about it holistically? And that's going to be, I mean, I don't even know, want to know how many billions of dollars. Well, I can also see why people are, are weary of that number. And, and spending that amount of money, they want to see their monies being spent well. Um, and so, yeah, it is a worthy discussion to talk about. Well, yeah, the the issue of extreme per mile cost of of just installing a light rail. Mm-hmm. But then, what is what are the external factors that are leading to that cost? I, I mean, I'm worried because the public process has all been done, mm-hmm. and people have decided all these things. And people, you know, they say, "Oh, well, let's cut the let's cut the artwork, and let's cut the you know let's, let's reduce the station entrances, and let's you know do." The, and it's like, well, this has all been decided by the public process, and so for you know for three hundred million dollars, you know, we're going to go back and you know invalidate years of public process, and I, I think we need to be very vigilant about yeah. you know what they're going to try to get rid of. Yeah, um, because these neighbor the, there were there were. I, I I wouldn't maybe go so far as to say hundreds, but maybe that is the number of meetings that I actually missed. But na- meetings that happened in these neighborhoods where they talked about 
uh, they whittled, they they did workshops and charrettes where they designed the stations to be th- things. This is this is infrastructure that is going to be in the neighborhood for at least a hundred years, unless for some reason we decide to rip them all up and you know we're using teleporters in a hundred years. But um, and then we all become extremely lazy and fat Americans and whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much longer we're gonna have. Uh... <laughs> Keep the human race, but that's maybe another topic. Um, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah, vigilance, vigilance to make sure that the that uh, the the things that we have decided through public process do go through, and and yeah, this is also a lesson in, you know, if we're going to pay for the transit that we need, we need to have these very frank and honest conversations about where that money is com- coming from, being honest about how much it costs, and uh, and then and and just really coming to grips with the fact that. Uh, we we can't get a transit system for free. Yeah. So. All right. With that said, uh, we really need to wrap up. Unless anybody's going to interject with anything, uh, any critical information here. You know, I, I was the the one other thing that I felt like was on topic that we didn't bring up was the proposed Worcester Providence mm-hmm. uh, commuter rail line. Oh yeah. And the, I don't know if we had mentioned this on a past show or not. Uh, really. Um, I had seen. I'm looking right now at uh, an article. I think that came out in uh, earlier in August. Yeah, it was a private operator who effectively wants to reactivate pri- like the. It's the first proposal for private Dude. operations, uh, private passenger operations since uh, the consolidation of all of those services. On what is now? It's now still owned by the Worcester Providence Railroad. Why, isn't it? Why is there not more bus service between Worcester and Providence? I don't know. I mean, there's like four <laughs> buses a day or something, and I just feel not even. And I feel like that's. I remember when I lived in Worcester, I always had a really hard time yeah. getting out of Providence. That's a really good question because is there is there a big problem with, with traffic and congestion between Worcester and Providence? I mean, I mean, Providence, you definitely get some congestion. I've oh, driven through. That. I used definitely, to drive definitely through there definitely congestion. Yeah, but, but it's not. But it's not to the point that you you know wouldn't. It's not to the point that a train would necessarily be faster. Because I remember I was reading and I was looking at the proposed schedule and it was sort of like I don't remember what the times were, but it seemed like to me it was be like an hour and a half trip because of course they're going to be going you know 50 i guess 55 or something 58 miles an hour probably because they're under they have to stay under 59 and um but then they got a few stops in there but they also and they, they need to do some upgrades to the track um but it was like you know once you once you build in your time of like going to the downtown station yep. and all that it seemed like yeah you know if you can work you know what if you have wi-fi but I was just not really sure what the market would be between those two towns. There's definitely a market to go between Worcester and Providence, yeah. but it's just not because they're fairly similar cities in a lot of ways. Um, you know. Well, see, I know there was there was always a historic because there, there was the Worcester Providence. Yep. There was a canal. They used to have a, a they had a yeah. train. They had, there was a rail. Yeah, exactly. But I wonder how like present day. How much of a link is there? People going back and forth between those cities all the time. Perhaps they're also yeah. calculate. Perhaps they're also banking on um, added ridership. Based on like additional service, the introduction of service. Yeah, it, it's hard to really say, you know, what the link is. I mean, there's a lot of people that are just driving it, um, and so it's hard to really quantify that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the kind of thing that I, I mean, I'd be surprised if Peter Pan Bus Company hasn't. You done bring up a good point, though. Yeah, about bus. Well, cause because I was, I took, I took a bus to New York City, you know, last weekend, and I was looking. There was a map of the regional bus network yes, um, in New finally, England, yes. which and mass- I was really impressed by the map because mass- I hadn't thought about the links of regional buses that haven't taken yeah. before. You know, right? So um, it's a first, yeah. good first step in a new effort that they oh, yeah. they've done. Um, bus Plus, to, yeah, they have Bus Plus. They have, they're, they're starting to subsidize some bus routes, and you know, they're starting to think about that as part of the network, which is really exciting. Um, the reason I bring up the point of the buses is, 
that a lot of times we we talk i mean the fall river is a good example of this Greenbush is a good example mm-hmm. of this a lot of times when we're building these rail project pro- projects um we don't really think about you know what's the market right now and so if you look at a place like if you look at a place like worcester it's okay like yes there are some gaps in the train in the train service and they've yep. had more and more over the years but maybe some of those gaps could be filled by a bus or two because there's less ridership or you know look so looking at a place like providence and seeing like okay how many people are going what's the bus service like now so how many people are using that what's the market and if you only have like three buses a day it's like you really serious have to ask yourself the question of um why is there not more bus service and only if there's like some you know if peter pan's like oh genie we never thought of that but that would be a good idea well then okay you know maybe you try some more bus service first you subsidize that before you put a a, you know billions of dollars into a into a rail line that you don't know if it's going to work right i'm looking at the map there is um it's not a high quality image here but there is there is a bus link um going between providence and rhode island that map by the way there is yes that regional frequent that regional bus map by the way was done very, very t- under a very time-consuming process, where MassDOT had to talk to every single carrier. Oh, sure, and because ba- basically, but it was up to date. I was impressed. Oh, it yeah. was up to date. Yeah. It reflected the new right. new carriers and the changes. And they had a, and they had to probably draw it all. And, and certain carriers, especially Greyhound, notoriously yeah. protective of their stuff. Like I mean, I know there's some people that are, have been trying to get some of these bus companies to do real time information. And real time and also very protective of their uni- data. Uni- is that map also on the website? I hadn't yes, seen it before. I believe so. Yeah, I haven't I found it. it. I searched for it once yeah. and I couldn't find it but it may be it was very there. helpful. Very it was helpful. it was highlighted as, uh, so actually I was on a, I was invited to a webinar recently because um, it, it was actually highlighted by NACTO, uh, the National Association of like city or, or state transportation or commissioners of transportation across the U.S. or something, and uh, it was highlighted as a an innovative project that pretty much no other state in the country has ever done, where they actually mapped all of these. And I think ultimately the goal is to have a single portal for regional bus purchasing because none of these portals talk to each other, and a lot of these regional carriers actually don't have APIs. Um, where their ticketing system can talk to, say, something like Kayak. Where or Kayak, Wanderoo. Or Wanderoo, for example. Yeah, yeah Wanderoo, yeah. Um, if, uh, we're not getting paid to say this, but Wanderoo is, uh, I believe they were actually a project of, it was initially launched as a project of, um, was it Code for America or something like that? Uh, but basically it's the Kayak of regional buses. Yeah. Um, I just want to interject here that the I looked up Worcester and Providence, and there is a there's a seven a, from Worcester to Providence there's a seven a.m. and a seven p.m. trip, and then from Providence to Worcester there's a nine thirty a.m. three fifteen p.m. and five fifteen p.m. trips. So these really like you they don't really it's kind of crazy. They aren't yeah. really useful for anything, and they must be just intermediate stops on another route. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Um, yes, Bus Plus. Um, thinking about these network these as a network is great. Well, you know, you you mentioned it very briefly, and maybe nobody even caught what you said, um, Jeremy. But you know, talking about like Fall River and you know. New Bedford and places like that. We, you know, we, 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 there's a, a lot of oxygen has been devoted to right. South Coast Rail, which you know I think a lot of us you know would get ex- would be excited for it to happen, but there's just com- with the competing priorities and yeah, the price tag, it's hard to imagine. You got to extend, two point five billion yeah. has been the estimate. Yeah. And if I mean, you, you got to rebuild the whole corridor, and like, why not yeah. just try try putting some bus lanes or bus use of shoulders right. under each one of And the biggest issue, yeah. And if you had some dedicated lanes or something like that, then it yeah. seems like that would. Yeah. It's it's an issue of regional of regional poli- regional politics 
overcome uh, or being stronger than regional planning. We have to wrap up, but we definitely want to let you know that uh, it's probably this coming Wednesday, September 30th, is going to be our next Beer in Transit. Um, and we have a special guest uh, coming from Maryland, uh, Ben Ross, who is author of Dead End, uh, Suburban, the, oh my god, I'm going to forget the title of this. Dead End, the, uh... <laughs> Suburban Sprawl and the Rebirth of the American Dream, there, I think is uh, something like Rebirth that. of the American City, I should hope. <laughs> okay, yeah, there you go. So, so um, yeah, he's, he um, started a transit advocacy organization called uh, Action Committee for Transit, which got the Purple Line in uh, suburban Washington D.C. and actually in, in Maryland. It's been um, a multi-decade fight, yes, and but pushed. it's and it's uh, about to be constructed. So that's uh, very exciting, and it definitely wouldn't happen without them. So he's going to be there um, speaking about a variety of topics, and uh, we're we're very excited about that. He um, also contributes regularly to the Greater Greater Washington blog. Which yes, is- uh, yes, a great blog. Although um, I tend to stick to Boston because I only get I can only wrap my head around so much stuff. <laughs> Um, but yeah, go go uh, check that out, and you can find him on Twitter at yeah. Ben Ross Transit. And uh, so, in the meantime, um, so come to that, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Um, if we met you at Hub on Wheels um, last weekend, then thanks for stopping by, and yep. uh, hope to see you soon. Um, you can check out our website for more information at transitmatters.info, and subscribe, sign up to volunteer, follow and engage us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And email feedback at transitmatters.info. Uh, we love hearing from you, so do that. Um, you can follow me, Jeremy Mendelson, on Twitter at Critical Transit. And uh, so I've posted a few times on Transit Matters, so maybe there too. Yeah. Um, uh, you can follow me uh, at the, my personal Twitter handle, which I recently started using again as a personal account, uh, Digital Sci Guy. Um, but I also manage the main Twitter uh, Twitter handle for Transit Matters. And you can follow me, Josh Fairchild, at Hatchback31, and uh, or you could just wait till Mark retweets it on the Transit Matters. So. <laughs> uh, thanks again for listening, and stay tuned to TransitMatters.info, and we will see you Wednesday, September 30th. This is at Lear uh, in Back Bay, what is 901 yep. Boylston Street. Find all of the information and on our website. Yes, go uh, to the website, because I want you to go there and read stuff, and you, then I get to see the people who are uh, reading our stuff. Because you, uh, you can also grab tickets there through the Eventbrite.